Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. I'm Sarah. Today we are joined by Rabbi Craig and Leah Jones of Emmanuel Congregation. Emmanuel Congregation, founded in 1880, is a Jewish reform synagogue affiliated with the Union for Reform Judaism and was incorporated in 1898 as Emmanuel Congregation of Chicago. Even after 140 years, Emmanuel Congregation continues to grow and emphasize their value of building community. Regardless of what reasons motivate you to pursue your religious beliefs, their goal is to have a place for everyone at 5959 North Sheridan. Welcome, Rabbi Craig and Leah. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you both today? Good. Doing Hello. well. Shalom. Thanks for having us. Great. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we love to start our podcast by just hearing about our guests and your um, personal and professional backgrounds and how you've kind of landed here. So can you each tell us a little bit about yourselves? Well, let's see. I'm Craig Morantz, and um, I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised, and I'm married to uh, Betsy Morantz, and I have two children. We have two children, Kara and Jared. They're here with us, and we came here three and a half years ago from Central Connecticut uh, with a great opportunity to serve Emanuel Congregation, which is a, a marvelous legacy institution seeking a, a new 21st century mojo, and I'm sure we'll be able to unpack that. But uh, I'm a reform rabbi. I was ordained in 1999 from Hebrew Union College in New York City. I was going to say that was our first drop of the word mojo on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'll unpack that. Outstanding. <laughs> so I'm um, Leah Jones. I moved. To, I grew up in Indiana. I moved to Chicago in 2002, which means I can almost claim I'm from Chicago. I've been here a while. Uh, I joined Emanuel Congregation 15 years ago. Um, and studied with our rabbi emeritus. Uh, I studied for my conversion at Emmanuel and have been a member ever since. And um, part of being a, a member of a congregation is, is serving it. And so last year I was asked to step up as president. And so now I'm president of the congregation. In my personal life, I uh, have my own company. It's called Native Facilitation. And I facilitate board and staff retreats and internal focus groups. Nice. Yeah. Thank God you stepped up to leadership. <laughs> we that are in great like hands. The, yeah, the type of person you want as a, a board president. So that's exciting. I, I come bearing post-it notes. Yes. <laughs> so were you um, born in, and raised in a different faith and then you... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was um, raised what I will now, I now call secular Christian. But when growing up, I said was nothing. Our parents said that if you want religion, you'll find it. And if you ask us to take you, we'll take you. And that meant either my grandparents' Presbyterian church or our kind of like non-denominational church that friends went to. And when I was in my 20s, I had a crush on a Jewish guy and said, if I'm going to ruin this friendship by asking him on a date, I should know what Jewish is. And I bought the Idiot's Guide to Understanding Judaism and it just made a ton of sense. And so I read one book and then another. And then I started meeting rabbis and uh, eventually found Emmanuel Congregation as my home. And that's where I studied. And what was that process like? I've known a few people to convert to Judaism. Um, so it is different for every person, but generally takes at least a year. You need to go through the whole Jewish calendar um, to understand what the a year in the life of living Jewishly looks like. Um, and but could take 25. It takes the time it takes um, because Jews don't proselytize. We welcome, but we don't proselytize. So if you're listening, 
this is an awkward invitation. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's a lot of soul searching, but also understanding the religion, the people, the culture. And after a certain amount of time, in collaboration with your rabbi, when you when they think you are have taken it seriously and you're ready, you go before what is called a Beit Den, which is a panel of rabbis and clergy, um, at least three three adult learned Jews. Is that right? Yeah. Um, who question you and judge your readiness and your fitness. No rabbi would put you in front of a Bet Den if they were going to say no. You know, like they they would tell you, you beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then after you meet with the Bet Den and they, they approve it, then you go to something called mikvah, which is a ritual bath. Um, and the mikvah is a kind of uh, where you sign the contract with the Jewish people. Uh, I, that's how I understood it to happen. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a great, great description. We always link our podcast to show notes, and I kind of want this part to be summarized. If you have a crush on somebody of Jewish faith, then mm-hmm. like you could, this is these are the steps you might go through. But that's yeah, that's very. So what I would say is, if you have a crush on someone who's Jewish, or you're in a relationship with someone who's Jewish and you're not, if they don't ask you to convert, that's because we don't proselytize. So somebody not asking you if you're interested in Judaism doesn't mean it's not important. It means that culturally it's not something we do. Um, So the non-Jewish partner or the Jewish adjacent partner might need to bring it up or do some investigating on their own because they're probably not going to get a They may not get a clear invitation. And Rabbi Craig, you said you were ordained in 1999. That's correct. And what drew you to this vocation and also what drew you and your family to decide to move from Connecticut to Chicago, specifically to Emmanuel? So as we say, standing on one foot, which means it's a long answer that I'm going to uh, condense into a very short one, as though I were standing on one foot. I became a rabbi uh, primarily because I felt a passion for community and a, a desired a sense of connection for myself as a Jewish person and found that I had a capacity to draw others into uh, the same sense of connection and uh, to be able to fulfill that sense of belonging uh, for myself and for others is a blessing, and I enjoy doing that each and every day. And uh, as the Jewish community, uh, uh, in its most diverse of realities, um, strives and struggles to create a sense of welcome, I'm very happy to work with Leah and my community uh, to welcome anybody that uh, is seeking a, a richer and more meaningful life under our roof. So it's very exciting to be able to do that. But community really is the bottom line for me. And the thing that I think is most logical and enduring for most of the people that I connect with. Of course, uh, I also like helping people explore their spirituality, whether it's a search for God or search for wholeness or fulfillment. I think that's a powerful opportunity. And certainly uh, seeking wisdom in our sacred texts, our Torah, is very powerful. And last but not least, I uh, enjoy helping people be a force for good. And collectively, uh, together, uh, we can really make a, a bigger difference uh, together than alone. So that's an exciting thing. And of course, you know, community facilitates that powerful impact on the world around us. As far as why we came to Chicago, well, uh, 
Betsy and I uh, raised our children in central Connecticut in Glastonbury. Um, wonderful town, beautiful place, great community. Um, I would say on some levels as a rabbi outgrew the responsibilities. I mean, we can always learn and always improve uh, in any setting, but I felt that the opportunity to come to, your, uh, to Chicago, to Emanuel, to a big city, to an urban setting, uh, to a very diverse community. I mean that in every sense of the word diversity. I think it's reflected in our community. Our community really reflects the city around us. It was really interesting to step into that um, experience, that context. In the 21st century, as uh, we hear left and right, how we have to be able to uh, be aware and ready and uh, able to include and include diversity, um, that's a real challenge. And it's a positive challenge, and I like uh, stepping up to meet that every day with Leah and our other leaders. Um, we have a great team, a professional team. Uh, Cantor Friedman and the rest of our team um, do a really great job, and our lay leadership committed to uh, sustaining our, our legacy institution, seeking new mojo. <laughs> so, And what was your spiritual upbringing like? Do you have other family members that chose... The rabbinical life as their vocation? No, I'm, I'm kind of a unique person in my family. Uh, no, I think um, I became a rabbi uh, because of people like my mother who recognized that I was truly on a good path, an authentic path. Seems to me if we can achieve authenticity in whatever path we're, we're on, it's a real blessing. So uh, I was trying to be a physician, actually, for most of my college career, and it wasn't really an authentic path, mostly from a science perspective. I love science, but I was not a great science student. I wasn't passionate enough. But healing is a different story, right? And, and being a spiritual healer, healer and knowing that I had that capacity and practiced it regularly at Jewish summer camp in, in, in California was something I, I was involved in doing and felt good about, but I didn't realize it was my calling. My mother did, though. My mother uh, is what we would call a secular Jew. I think identifies Jewishly in the strongest of ways, likes doing Jewish things, but is not especially um, uh, comfortable in a, 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 a very religious setting. I think she's very universal in her worldview. And uh, she taught me that as well. Uh, in fact, it's, it's nice as we uh, seek sort of, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do here in the 21st century that may be similar, different than what we did, uh, say, in the, in, the, in, the, in the 20th century, right? Um, here in the 21st century, you know, things are very global and very broad-minded and very universal. And our traditions are set up for that, as well as they are set up for particular ways of looking at things, you know, and how we should be as Jews. Really, we're people of the world. And so the more we think about our future, the more we want to be outward facing and to touch the world around us and to inspire it, draw other people, our neighbors as well, Jews and otherwise. Can you touch on the history of the synagogue and um, also maybe a little bit about your vision for the future now? You know, you've been there for three years now, so I'm sure you're um, well underway into implementing some of that vision. But what what about the space itself? What about the sanctuary within a sanctuary concept? Mm -hmm. So we were founded in 1880 by just uh, like 18 Russian Jewish families. Originally, like uh, plenty of... Russian or German? I think that started... So this is 
the fun of, of being in a 140 year old legacy. Yeah. I think that it was started as Russian Jews who made an Orthodox synagogue ah. that then became a reform there synagogue. So we learn something every day. Mm-hmm. Forgive the interruption. No. <laughs> a and wise is, one. The, I'm in your I, debt. I could also be wrong. Well, <laughs> the version of commence. the story I've heard <laughs> synagogues with once you're over 100 years, some of the founding stories get muddy. It's all blends together. All blends together. So we started as a small immigrant Orthodox synagogue that over time embraced the reform movement out of Germany, which is a classical reform is uh, it's a lot of English versus Hebrew. Um, the ways of, of interpreting Torah and interpreting Judaism are very distinct from Orthodox Judaism. Um, well, so that basically, it's human driven. Yeah. It's multiple revelations as a function of people sort of coming to level of awareness on their own, not because God says so from Sinai, but yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because we understand things differently as time goes on. Yeah. So I would say our, our modern story starts when Felix Levy becomes our rabbi. He's followed by Rabbi Shalman, Herman Shalman of Blessed Memory. Um, both are of Blessed Memory. Um, rabbi Shalman is the one I happen to have known. Um, Me too. He passed away three years ago. Um, and so the two of them were lions of the reform movement when it came to defining modern theology and modern practice. And we have a very uh, kind of very German Austrian background to our story. Um, we have members who have been um, generations of families for 60 to 80 to 90 years. Um, but our space today, we started on Buckingham and but and we moved into our current building in 1954. Um, when Lakeshore Drive was supposed to go to Evanston. So if you've ever been in our congregation, in our synagogue, you'll notice uh, not a lot of windows looking on the lake. We have the parking lot. Yet, not yet. yet. We oh, have, that's interesting. Yeah. We have the parking lot with the best view of Lake Michigan in the city. Amen. Because it was supposed to be a parking lot with a view of Lakeshore Drive. I have literally come to so many community meetings at Emmanuel, mm-hmm. and I've just sat in the parking lot. Yeah. For a long time, because, you know, you just you pull into those spaces. It's mesmerizing. Yes, but please continue. Um, so we have um, a beautiful sanctuary that we renovated in the 90s, um, a stunning stained glass windows. And we have a stone chapel um, that we recently, within the last 10 years, were able to put in windows and add stained glass so that our chapel as a as a worship space now has windows. And I think that's one of Rabbi Craig's favorite spaces in the building. Oh, indeed. So uh, fun fact, the chapel is spiral shaped. If it were cylindrical, uh, you couldn't put a window. It wouldn't accommodate a window. But because it's a spiral, it has the structural integrity to accommodate a window. And uh, the beautiful uh, aspect of the window, uh, encapsulated by uh, the great Rabbi Shalman of Blessed Memory, is that allows us to look outside. For obvious reasons, it's a beautiful spiritual experience to connect with the lake. It draws us in, it's a meditative uh, experience, and I'm perfectly fine with people casting their gaze outward as opposed to up front where I'm standing. Uh, Sometimes I'll stand in the window if I really need them to pay attention to me, but um, truth is is looking outside is beautiful, and uh, it does serve our mission, right? Uh, That we are 
inward facing in the sense we want to create a sense of welcome and inclusion to anybody that walks through our doors and to take care of people and to build a community we think is so valuable. But uh, we're outward facing because all the things that we're doing together ultimately are designed to make the world around us better. And we want to be good citizens and good neighbors and uh, collective force for good. So having that window literally allows us to look outside while we're doing things like praying, right? And hopefully in that prayer, um, we're able to fulfill this notion that we uh, pray as though everything depends on God, but we act as though everything depends on us. So having that outward look kind of reminds me always of that particular uh, responsibility to be outward facing and to uh, make the world better around us for real, not just through words and platitudes, you know, but through real commitment. And I think when we look to the future, um, the statistics in the Jewish world today say that between 10 and 20 percent of Jews in America identify as people of color. Um, we want to make sure that our congregation is not only diverse, but it is also in an inclusive environment. Right. The Union for Reform Judaism has um, a platform of education called Audacious Hospitality that's about inclusion um, that allows that helps us make spaces where where Jews and Jewish adjacent people can bring their whole selves into the synagogue. And so we are continuing to work to become more and more of an inclusive environment. Right. And then I think when we look further into the future, when we look out of 2030, we want to be, you know, I, I, a challenge that synagogues have is that we have a lot of space because come Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, a thousand people are going to come for services and you need to be able to accommodate everybody who comes on some of our holiest days of the year. And then the rest of the year, it's not used as much. And intimate. so it's more intimate services. We have a bunch of classrooms that we use twice a week. Um, so we are looking at ways, how can we bring more energy and more people into the building? Um, and, you know, like my, our goal is by 2030, I want us to be a nationally known venue for really outstanding secular programming right. that's deeply rooted in Jewish values. Amen. Cultural arts, mm -hmm. uh, urban retreat, spiritual renewal. Uh, did I say healing? Yep. Healing, um, a mix of faith, justice, uh, hope and peace and the arts. You name it. Yeah. So we have big plans. Well, you are, the congregation is celebrating 140 years this year. And um, your social media, media calls for 140 reasons to celebrate 140 years. Can you share with us some of those reasons and how the community will be coming together to celebrate? Sure thing. Um, from an event perspective, the weekend of March 27th to 29th is Legacy Weekend. This is our third year in a row of, of this weekend uh, celebration. This year, the guest of honor is the congregation. Um, so we will be having on Friday night an anniversary Shabbat. So Shabbat services with a, a meal following, highlighting the years of membership that everybody has had in our congregation. On Saturday morning, we will have, again, Shabbat services honoring past presidents and past clergy. Um, a lot of past presidents have stepped up to read from Torah that day. We're looking forward to that or afraid of that, nervous. 
Um, Saturday night, we'll be having a semi-formal dance for families, uh, for people 13 and over. So the best of a B'nai Mitzvah party, the best of a wedding reception, a prom in the building. So that'll be really fun. And then um, Sunday, we're going to wrap it up with a day of tikkun olam, which is um, social justice. And uh, so a volunteer activity for our, our members. So that's how we'll be celebrating. And in the hashtag 140 reasons, I don't know, Rabbi Craig, do you want to talk a little about that? So uh, let me tell you what the first thing on the, uh, the, the it's a board um, like on an easel. And it, it's a campaign that we uh, are involved in, 100, hashtag 140 reasons um, that you uh, are part of our community, our Emanuel congregation. And so uh, you have on that list things like our women's retreat recently concluded that brought 36 women together at Olin Sang Ruby, which is a, a camp up in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, co-founded by our Rabbi Shalman. Um, and it was such a powerful, groundbreaking act on his part because it gives opportunity not only for summer campers, but for adults in the middle of a snowy weekend uh, in this case, women in our community to go up and really uh, connect with one another and to um, seek their spirituality and their sense of community and to really immerse themselves in Jewish life. Uh, what a powerful opportunity that they, they, they had and enjoy. And um, look, the more we immerse ourselves in anything that we do as a community, uh, the more worthwhile, the richer, the more meaningful it becomes to everybody who participates. Um, just because we are kind of liberal in our orientation. I don't mean that politically, but in terms of our spiritual sense of spiritual responsibility and obligation, um, really more about informed choices, making the informed choice to dive in, immerse ourselves meaningfully in, um, in, in uh, Jewish life is, is powerful. Uh, and, and, and there are many uh, other uh, indicators on that list, uh, namely the people, uh, whether it's clergy, or it's uh, our leaders, or specific individuals who've served the co community, uh, like Hunter Friedman over you know a quarter century, um, really made a difference. And all the activities mm -hmm. and and uh, the sense of spirit. We have something called Share Shabbat, which we're doing tonight actually at six thirty. And Share Shabbat really embodies um, our mission in a fine way, namely that it brings us together for prayer, learning. Shabbat experience, community building. It's multi-generational. Uh, I think uh, the more we do multi-generational engagement and immersion, the more we're true to our mission and frankly, the more relevant we are uh, to everybody participating and they find great inspiration. They find their peak moments in these full experiences, right? I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think that's what we're trying to do. Like anybody that collects people we're an institution, we're a community that wants to create peak Jewish moments that people remember. And in their memories, uh, it serves them so that they can, when asked to think of 140 reasons, you know, not only they come up with 140, but maybe they come up with 200 reasons yeah. or 360 reasons or an indefinite uh, number of reasons. Yeah, we've had some, we've asked people to take videos. A great story that we just, we heard during our Hanukkah dinner um, was Kitty Tokarski. When she came to check out Emmanuel in the 80s, she saw in the, the woman working, organizing our library was the librarian she grew up with. And she was like, well, if she's here, I'm here. So people joined because of individual invitations right. 
They love our Shabbat experience, um, the study opportunities, going to camp with friends, being on the lake. Um, music. Music. We have a chil- we have a children's choir, as an, an adult choir, and over the High Holy Days, we have an amazing quartet led by um, Rabbi, oops, Reverend Greg Sabetta. No. We think he's we think he's very rabbinic. Yes, he's like an honorary rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> but um, more importantly, he's a dear friend and a fabulous uh, musician and a great man of spirit, mm-hmm. and a wonderful neighbor. You know, in the, in the spirit of kind of global ecumenical experience, it's very powerful that uh, we embrace uh, this group of musicians and uh, their spiritual leader, Reverend Sabetta, um, in a way that kind of works. It just sort of works. Uh, makes for a very wonderful moment of spirituality that sort of belongs to everybody. It's really important that anybody that's part of our experience feels like they belong in it. They're not just a spectator, not just a witness. They certainly can choose to be that, but we really want to be inviting enough to, to bring people along. Uh, and uh, there's nothing better than music and creativity, and we have that in large supply, and we bring that to bear in many different ways, uh, including a religious school. And Sundays, which is another great opportunity, right? Our religious school, we have 120 or so kids, wonderful faculty, good parents helping direct our, our, our school, uh, and um, trying to think about ways to be even more relevant and, and more 21st century in how we deliver Jewish education. So it's a dynamic community, even though we're long-lasting. We have a dynamic spirit. It's part of that mojo. Just the ability to know that we can grow and change, even though we've got a lot of momentum over 140 years. Yeah, you have so much exciting programming going on. And I want to ask, you know, you, Rabbi Craig, used the word at the beginning of the podcast, um, wholeness. Mm -hmm. And those who are seeking wholeness, those who are seeking authenticity, um, those who are seeking to just slow down Mm -hmm. in our busy, urban, loud um, place that we so love and choose to live, but can come sometimes seem overwhelming. Um, what would you say to somebody who's just wondering, is this a place for me or what should I expect walking through the doors the first time? Well, firstly, uh, want to expend, uh, extend, uh, a strong spirit of invitation. Uh, we try to engage people in meaningful, connections with the community, with a spirit of invitation. Uh, Very rarely, if never, uh, expectation. People uh, are smart, and they know what they want, and uh, it's important that we help them make a a good choice for their spiritual direction, uh, connecting to community, uh, seeking God or wholeness or healing, whatever it is that they need. We... um, extend that spirit of invitation. So um, one of the practical things we like to do um, at the beginning of a service is welcome people with music and to use what we call in Hebrew nigunim. Nigunim are songs without words. And the reason why songs without words are important is um, they uh, uh, lend a melody into the into the experience. Um, and... All you have to be able to do is like a lai 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 or a yada 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 mm-hmm. or whatever sound um, comes to you. 
And why that's important is not everybody is sort of on the same page in terms of being able to read Hebrew, for example. And so we want that initial experience to belong to everybody, regardless of literacy level, regardless of comfort level. Um, it also is a great transition from the parking lot into the service. That can be a very startling, stark contrast, right? You're coming in, maybe you're rushing, uh, and you've got to somehow immediately switch gears, turn on a dime, you know, and find that spiritual center can be really hard. So if we um, gradually draw people in that spirit of musical invitation, you don't even have to know any Hebrew. It really creates that um, sense of welcome and, and connection and transition that I think uh, we try to do uh, throughout the service, really. Uh, but that's how we get people connected. Yeah. And I think for people who have never been to our building before, we have a lot of doors Literally. Um, but the door to come in through is right off our parking lot. Um, people will be buzzed in. We have, it's uh, 2020, we are a Jewish institution, so they'll be buzzed in by security. Um, and our services will either be in our large sanctuary or in our chapel. And so they'll be directed to which which room to go to. The chapel is past the sanctuary, so, you know, you'll get there. Um, you'll get to the right room because they're in the same direction. For Friday night services at 6.30, we start with a um, a pre-oneg. So we have snacks before services because people are coming straight, might be coming straight from work and need a little sustenance to be able to pray. And uh, on Saturday mornings, we are um, often, we'll, we'll have a bar or bat mitzvah family. Um, it, you, when we're celebrating a bar or bat mitzvah, um, that is part of our regular service. It is open to the public. Um, the luncheon may be private for the family, but the, the services are, are 100% open. Um, so, so people shouldn't, if they, if they see, oh gosh, I think it's a bar about mitzvah, it's, come on in. Everyone's welcome. Yeah. You know, uh, while we were talking, I, 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 for a moment forgot the fact that we start our services now at six 30 on Fridays. They were at eight, um, but now they're at 6.30, and so uh, people do come 30 minutes early and sit and get a nosh, as we say, uh, to uh, tie themselves over. And that becomes a wonderful transition also, right? Less prayerful, more community building. And it's very important that uh, the clergy be there to shake hands and connect and see how the week went. Um, and that's really powerful. The other thing I'll add is also on Saturdays, um, we have opportunities to study. Uh, we have uh, Talmud class. Talmud uh, is the oral law, and it's a very ancient collection of law, and we're uh, learning how to study it as a community. And so uh, every Saturday at 9 o'clock uh, for an hour and a half, we study Talmud, and we also have a Torah class. Torah is um, specifically the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, but can also mean, you know, Torah wisdom or Jewish wisdom, uh, all told, writ large. But um, in this case, they're studying uh, specific Torah. And that's with Rabbi Zedek, our emeritus rabbi. And that's 9.30 also on Saturdays. So lots of opportunities to find uh, a connection and, 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 and your place uh, in our community uh, during the Shabbat, uh, during the Sabbath. And let's talk about Purim. 
Can you? Uh, it's Let's such a fun holiday. So tell us a little bit about <laughs> what it is, the story behind it, if you could sum it up for us, and then um, what people can expect from the from the events coming up for that. Sure thing. So Purim is um, the story of Queen Esther, who um, married into Persian royalty and not into a non-Jewish family, and the king's no, top advisor was anti-Semitic and oh boy, he, he made a decree that all the Jews should be murdered. Um, and Esther's cousin who raised her, her cousin Mordecai said, Esther, you have to unveil yourself as a Jew, talk to the king, get him to change his mind. And then there are um, shenanigans. There's a lot of drinking um, in the story and in our celebration of the story um to sway the king to then to then sway Haman his um his boo Haman boo, um you're supposed to boo it, Haman yeah you're, you're supposed, supposed to boo Haman um, we need the boo track it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> queued up sorry um so she she sways the king um the the decree is reversed and then it ends when Haman and all of his sons are then murdered for the for the duplicity cheerful ending it's uh yeah it is it is one of many um holidays that is uh they tried to kill us they didn't let let's eat it's a t-shirt a tea towel i'm sure you can find somewhere um so we celebrate it by retelling this the by reading you might have heard somebody say the whole megillah if you've ever heard that phrase the whole megillah is store is esther's story it's the scroll and so we read the Megillah, we retell the story. Sometimes we, we retell the story in what's called a spiel, which is, uh, it is a farce. It's a modern, you know, it's just, how do you retell this story in a new and di different, interesting way so that people remember it? Yeah, it's like a play. It's a play. Last year we did um, one that was based on the music of Greece. We've done Beatles parody spiels before. Um, so this year we're celebrating with, um, uh, so we will have, we'll have three events over the course of Purim. Um, we will have a children's carnival. The Purim carnival is a tradition. We will have a Shabbat Atat Purim party. So Shabbat Atats are programs we do for the toddler set. Um, we will have our Purim Carnival at the Religious School on Sunday, March 8th. Run by our junior youth group. Yep. Um, so our teens plan it for our, our younger students. And then on March 14th, we are going to have a piano bar Purim, a sing-along spiel, where two of our members who are excellent piano players um, are going to play the hits of our spiels gone by, and we're going to project the lyrics, and we're just going to sing along to the spiel um, to save us a little bit of rehearsal time. Sounds good. Spiel is the word. Yeah. And <laughs> um, what about the hamantash? You yeah. eat, consume a lot of that. And tell us a little bit what that is. So uh, hamantashin is a, it's a cookie or pastry. And it's uh, in the shape of a triangle. And uh, the triangle reminds us of uh, Haman Boo. Uh, his hat was a tri-cornered hat. That seemed to be the style of the day. 
and we fill the hamantaschen with um, poppy seeds or chocolate or lemon or raspberry um, filling. And I'm sure that we could put other kinds of fillings in there too. But they're good and they're sweet. Um, and uh, look, the, the, the story of Purim, to the extent that it reflects uh, great human darkness, is true. And so there are ways. Um, I personally prefer eating lots of hamantaschen than uh, consuming alcohol as a way of coping with the darkness. Um, uh, but uh, there is a certain human agency that comes out in, in the Purim story that I think is unique to many of the, the books of the Torah, or the Bible, rather, um, where human agency really is the redemptive peace in the story. It's not God. God's not really that close. Um, but God works through Esther and Mordechai uh, to help people find their way and their wholeness and to find light in the dark. And, and it's powerful when you are a community seeking to make the world a better place where you can sort of discover your own light, however you're inspired, whether it's by God or by your own humanity. Um, it all works under our roof, but ultimately I love Purim because it reminds us that, in fact, we can't act as though everything depends on us, even if uh, God seems far away. So that's the beauty of Purim, and nice to celebrate that depth with a nice hamantaschen. Well, that's a great segue we wanted to ask, and Leah, you had mentioned just being the year 2020 and being a Jewish institution and just um, in other ways, just today in our country, it's it's hard for um, different groups of people and different identities. And we just wanted to ask you, what gives you hope in these challenging times? I think what keeps me from just sinking into total nihilism, which is the risk uh, of Twitter, it's a side effect of Twitter, um, is is knowing that we have you know i really believe that judaism as a technology for how we function in the world is a powerful technology like it's a powerful way to live your life um and so i recently was at uh in san diego for a retreat with the union for reform judaism and one of the the studies we one of the Torah, some some of the Torah we studied was from the the writings of Ecclesiastes, and it was Tovim Hashanayim Min Echad, I think, and it's two are better than one, and it is about the power of working in partnership, the power of working in sacred partnership, and I think what the Torah and Judaism gives us, Judaism forces us to be in community. There are certain prayers that you, like the Kaddish, which is our prayer of mourning, you have to be with 10 other Jews to say that prayer. So we are part of this tradition that forces us into community if we want to access our religion and we want to access um, this power. So I think what, I, I can't imagine what my life would be like today had I not found Judaism 15 years ago because when I, I don't know what would pull me out of just utter despair. But I think we have a tradition that that puts us in community and in community there's hope. This is a nice answer, Lee. I really appreciate it. Um, Judaism 
is um, in a way countercultural. And what I mean by that is if, uh, if society calls on us to be rugged individuals and to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to be responsible for our own way in life, which is fine. I think that's an important framework with which to see our lives. I don't think it's possible to do everything alone that we can do together. A riff on your uh, comment that two is better than one, uh, I've known for a long time that all of us are smarter than one of us. And so if we're trying to solve the, the deep mysteries of life, right, or at least approach uh, some reasonable answers about those mysteries, or we're trying to find light in the dark, or trying to prevent ourselves from being nihilists or cynics, um, we're going to find better answers together through shared experience, and we're going to pull ourselves up when it seems really hard, when the temptations to cynicism are really, uh, really overpowering us. I think if we turn to one another, we'll be better off. And it's strange to think of this as a countercultural practice. I think it's what makes us relevant after 140 years, actually, is the fact that uh, as much as at the beginning uh, we try to be like the cults around us, no different, um, we stand now seeking a way to serve that community with distinction and love and purpose, but also to rec help people recognize that there's something special about walking into a, a Jewish community like ours that seeks to create that sense of collective wholeness. That's powerful. That's what keeps me hope. I feel like you need a moment of mm -hmm. silence after all of that. <laughs> but that was, those were both really beautiful responses. So yeah, I really appreciate you so much your for sharing that. thoughtfulness and answering those questions. I know that's a tough one to answer, um, especially during these polarizing times. So, well, now we're going to have to hit our fun one <laughs> after that. Um, but we asked our guests at the end of each, um, at the end of each show, you know, if you could trade places with another business in Andersonville, which business would you choose and why? So, ooh. So I just went only for the second time ever to Octavio's for Taco Tuesday. And mm. I had a good view in the kitchen of the tortilla making machine. Mm. And I want to learn how to use it. So I would trade places with Octavio, one, for the access to their amazing tortilla chips, and two, because I would learn how to use that tortilla machine and how to prepare the masa. It was very mesmerizing. It's such a good answer. And a lot of people don't know about that process. And I know when I go there with my kids, mm -hmm. they're so mesmerized by it that I get to actually enjoy a meal. And <laughs> they're like watching the tortillas be made. So I love that yeah. when you're at Octavio. Oh, I'm hungry now. I'm going to walk over there. Uh, I'm going to shout out to my friends at Cheetah Gym. I love Cheetah Gym. Uh, firstly, I love uh, the environment there. Uh, it's kind of that cool Chicago chic, you know, exposed plumbing and and uh, the stone and the wood. It's just got this great kind of retro feel. It's a great environment um, to exercise in. And um, for me, it's a spiritual space and place. Um, I don't know if it's intended to be that way, but when I walk in there and I can run on the treadmill for, you know, two to three to five miles, 
uh, depending on how much time I have. Um, I really feel spiritual connection. Uh, and I, it's a great place to think and, uh, and to observe neighbors and see them taking care of themselves. And um, it's just a healthy place. It's good. It's a whole place. It's a fulfilling place. So I love Cheetah Gym. I feel like we should do a spin, like workout with Rabbi Craig. There you go. On this show where we can just Sounds good. find out how to work out like a rabbi. That's a, that's a good good thought, right? You know, like while working out, we'll do like a, a Devar Torah. That's like a teaching on the Torah portion, you know. We could also just do a circle. We have five Torah scrolls of varying weights. Like it? I yeah. Like where this is going. Right. Yeah. Pass so the Torah. We can pass the Torah. Mm-hmm. We can circle. Is it Hagba? Is Hagba when you Hakafa? Hakafa. Yeah, but Hagba Leah is lifting. Okay. So we can circle and lift. (laughs) This is this is awesome. I love this conversation. So Hagba is you Mm -hmm. open the Torah scroll and then you lift it above your head to show the congregation like that you've read from Torah today. And it is we have like three people willing to do it. I would love to learn how, but I am terrified of the ramifications of dropping a Torah scroll. And so. It's almost like lifting, you know, like a, what do you call that? You Does something it? bad happen? Like, I don't know if you've seen Bring It On, when you drop the cheer stick. Yeah, we don't want to drop the Torah. <laughs> we don't want to drop the Torah. <laughs> that would that would leave everybody very hungry for a period of time. Yeah. The, you, the, you the notion is that you fast. You fast uh, for atonement. In atonement. Uh, so we try to avoid that in the first place. But you would share the the fast if you had to. Sounds like a, this is becoming a really risky workout. Well, thank you for joining us for our focus group to our listeners. Please email <laughs> us at info at andersonville.org if you're interested in signing up in for this. this. Torah workout. Sounds good. Mm, starting Sunday. See, this has been a very creative experience. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Our pleasure. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Emmanuel Congregation, please visit Emmanuel kong at c-o-n-g dot org show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org thank you thank you always andersonville the podcast is produced by the andersonville chamber of commerce find episodes streaming weekly on itunes and podbean with show notes available at andersonville.org 